Welcome to Sense by Meg Fora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads, just like you, to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Make Here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, mums and dads. It is always my pleasure to have you join me here on the Sense by Meg for a podcast, where each week we are either joined by an expert or by an expert mom, a mom who has <laughs> had a little one and is at the rock face. And we kind of explore all of those little niggles and the joys and the delights and the journey of early parenting. So this week we are joined by Christina Masryk and I'm super excited to have her on here with me. Christina and I have worked together kind of probably over about the last four years, maybe a little longer than that, Christina. Welcome today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here as well. I think you're right. I think it is about four years. I think I met you when my middle child was about one years old. Excellent. Okay. So you've now alluded to the fact that you have three little ones. Yes. <laughs> Christina has three little boys. She lives in the South Peninsula of the Western Cape, which is actually where I raised my little ones when they were tiny. So I was thinking about you in Komiki. I lived in Nurtuk when my babies were born and absolutely loved being in that South Peninsula area while my kids were little. It's divine. It really is fabulous. Christina's also has the Honest Hour podcast, and this podcast is absolutely amazing. It's a really a space where people are honest, convincing each other of their discovered truth about something is the way that Christina encapsulates it. It's around people's work, their story, their relationships, their experiences, and their worldview. And it's a wonderful podcast to listen to. So if you haven't hopped over there, do go and um, have a proper listen to Christina's podcast. It really is fabulous. And you can also find her at the Honest Hour podcast on Instagram as well. So today I'm really, really excited because Christina is going to be exploring the, her journey with her new baby. And Christina, I think by way of introduction, can you just let us know how old your little ones are and actually where you are in your journey? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for that introduction. I really appreciate it. I'm so grateful to be here with you again today. It's always such an honor to get your wisdom and your knowledge. So for myself and the listeners, we're all blessed to hear from you. Where I am now, so I have three little boys, as you said. My youngest was born on the 15th of July as quite a bit of an early surprise with a bit of a drama entrance. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll have a little bit of time to go into that. He is going on almost 16 weeks old now. My middle child is five years old and then my oldest is seven years old. So seven, five and three months. And so I remember when you and I last spoke, I said to you, that is my gap to the letter. I mean, I literally <laughs> had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old and a newborn. So I was <gasps> dealing with somebody learn, trying to learn to read in grade one, the juggle of preschool as well. And then, of course, a newborn baby. So the juggle is real yes. in your life. The juggle is real. There are a lot of moving parts. Life is very interesting. There's not a dull moment, but there's so much joy. I can't say that enough. I feel very blessed. I love being a mama to three boys of these ages. 
Yeah, it's very, very precious. And I mean, three boys, I can remember because I had a boy and then I had a girl and a girl. So I found my boy to be incredibly busy and completely frenetic and life with him was never, <laughs> it was never dull. I mean, there was always a trip to the to the ER for stitches or, you know, there was always something going on with James. I mean, he once painted his sister's cheeks with red nail polish. I mean, he just, he oh, was, <laughs> there was something to be done. He was doing it. And so I've always thought this has got to be a boy thing. But then on the other hand, I know that we have sensory personalities that make children different. Are your little ones very different? I mean, when you gauge them now, kind of at the 17 week, 16, 17 week age, are they very different? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And it's one I get a lot. I think parents are always discussing this boys versus girls or child versus child. And having three boys myself, in my opinion, I think it has to do with their sensory profile and the just sort of their own genetic makeup, the personality that they're born with. My oldest child is incredibly sensitive. He's so sweet and kind. He's a people pleaser of absolute note, mm. <laughs> almost to his own detriment. So that's something we're, we're working on is building his confidence in many ways. And the younger one than him, so my middle child, he is full of beans. He's so funny. Mm -hmm. He he sounds similar to your James, as yes. you described. Yes. And what's interesting is that he has a lot in common with his female cousin, who is just a year younger than him. So she's also full of beans. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why I also think it's just so much to do with their personality mm -hmm. and who they are. And then obviously my littlest one, we are just still getting to know his personality. It's mm -hmm. going to unfold in the coming years, but he's a really good baby. They were actually all really good babies. Yeah, I think that answers your question yeah. about the differences in personality and behavior and what we deal yeah. with with each one. It's a different journey completely. It is absolutely. And those sensory personalities, are, it's just such a key thing. And for those who are listening, if you haven't listened to my podcast on the sensory personalities, do go and look it up. It really is. It's actually our most downloaded podcast. I think people are absolutely fascinated with finding out who their little one is and what kind of drives their behavior. Certainly James was that live wire that, you know, kind of busy one, what I call now social butterfly. And he still is a sensory seeker, doesn't self-regulate very well, pushes himself over the edge because he's always seeking stimulation. Wow. You know, all, it's all in the package and, and he's in his 20s now. So yeah, it certainly is much more around their genetics and their wiring, I think, than we give it credit for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. And you say that your journey and your little one, what is his name? Connor. Connor, Connor Francis. Yes. Precious boy. Sounds very Irish. Is there Irish in the family? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> my oldest boy is Everett. My middle one is Lincoln. And then my youngest is Connor. And they actually, so many people say, oh, they're all very American names, which is funny because the most American of the lot is Lincoln. And my South African husband chose that name. <laughs> I have never met a Lincoln or an Everett in my life. And then Connor sounds very Irish. It's a very stereotypical Irish name. And no, neither one of us are Irish, no Irish family, never been there, but I just love the name. It is. It's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous name for a gorgeous boy. And he is a settled baby, it sounds like. I mean, the fact that he's yeah. already settling into a routine and he's doing so well. It's really amazing. Nice. But I mean, where he is now compared to where he was about four weeks ago is absolute chalk and cheese. I would say between weeks nine and 11, even maybe eight and 11. It was really difficult. I just felt like I couldn't understand what he needed. Mm -hmm. He was never finishing a bottle. He sort of always seemed hungry, then always seemed full. 
He wasn't sleeping well at night. I didn't know what his routine should be. I didn't know how long he's supposed to be awake or when he should be sleeping. And then I would say it was like the day before he was exactly 12 weeks. So the last day of the 11th week, we had a really, really bad night where he woke up on the hour, every hour. And I just thought to myself, like, first of all, this is definitely not sustainable. And second of all, I think there is probably an easy solution here. So I just, first of all, wished that our podcast was right at that time so we could (laughs) chat about it. (laughs) And then second of all, I started to do a ton of research and spoke to a lot of friends. And yeah, we sort of got ourselves together and helped him regulate. I understood a lot more about awake windows and feeding times and... Mm you know, what his days are supposed to look like at that stage. And within two days, he was waking up twice a night for a feed. Within a week, it was once a night. And in the last 10 days, he sleeps through the night. Wow, that's it's incredible. amazing. So and many, that's very similar to my other How many weeks did you say babies. he was now exactly? He's almost 16 weeks. Almost and 16 for the last weeks. 10 days, he sleeps. He goes to bed anywhere between 6 and 7.30 in the evening. And then he wakes up anywhere between 5.30 and 7 in the morning. That's so it's usually about 11 hours. Yeah. No, it really is amazing. But you actually allude to some very interesting things there. So first of all, and you know this, the first three months is the patch of dysregulation where little ones are just feeling a little bit more fussy, often because mm. they're overstimulated. And what often happens and might have happened at that time for you, and you, you can let me know if this is what was going on, is that little one is niggly. We're not sure if they're hungry or full. And so mm. we feed and we start to feed and we in, can end up actually in a cycle of feeding like every two, two and a half hours because yes. we're really not we're not really sure what's going on. And what that does is that when we are producing milk in that way and feeding our little ones in that way, we're giving them a lot of full milk. So a lot of that, you know, kind of re- really watery milk. And even if we're doing formula, we're giving them a lot of lactose, basically, because um, mm. full milk is made up of a lot of milk sugars, as obviously as formula as well has milk sugars. And when you feed feeding very frequently, those milk sugars kind of build up and they just quite simply do not have enough lactase, which is the enzyme that sits inside the tummy to break down that lactose. And it actually makes them a little more niggly because they end up with these slightly more um, lactose intolerant looking poos. So those kind of frothy wow. poos that, you know, kind of are are very explosive, those explosive poos. And so they end up almost looking like they're lactose intolerant. Now, of course, this isn't that they're lactose intolerant because this is just really lactose overload. And so it makes them more niggly. And so, of course, what do we do? We then think they must be hungry and you've expressed (laughs) it. Are they hungry? Are they full? And so we're in the cycle. It's a frenzy. We don't know whether or not we should be feeding. So that's the first thing. The second thing is because they are feeding so frequently and because they are a little bit less comfortable because they've got all Mm -hmm. of this lactose, they then end up not sleeping very well in the day. And then if they're not sleeping well in the day, they don't sleep well at night. And we tend to see very frequent night wakings. So two early night wakings linked with the two early days, day wakings. Yes. So for babies of that age, so these are babies who passed the six week age going into, but in the last six weeks of that first trimester after birth, so six to 12 weeks old, quite a good thing to do is actually exactly what you did, which is number one, start to stretch those feeds out and make mm. sure that you're giving them those nice little stretches where first of all, if you're breastfeeding, your body can build up the nice hind milk. And if you're bottle feeding that you're not giving them too much, um, of, you know, too much milk, you know, for that lactose overload. And then secondly, to start watching those awake times. And 
Yes. That is, you know, very important. And on the Parent Sense app, that's actually what we do. We we have the awake times on the top left widget, like the most central point in the on the home dashboard, there's your awake time for that period, which at that age is around about an hour to a little bit over an hour. Um, mm. And if you start watching those awake times, they settle more easily. And if you start stretching their feeds according to the suggested routine, you'll then also start to see that they actually start to feed more, feed better, and well, not more frequently, but feed better at a feed and therefore have, you know, more of that hind milk and therefore stretch longer. And so that yes. is, you know, you've kind of alluded to exactly what happens for many moms just before their little ones hit 12 weeks. And you clearly handled it really, really well. Well, thank you. I still have so many questions. And it's so fascinating what you said, because when he was about six to eight weeks old, I actually started to think he had lactose intolerance because mm. he had those frothy poos. Mm -hmm. And I did everything under the sun. I switched around all the different formulas. I put him on lactose free formula for mm -hmm. ages. I took away the probiotics. I added back in the probiotics. I switched mm -hmm. the probiotic. I learned all about different probiotics. All the, I took in the GP, the pediatrician. We've had an absolute journey. And then it was only when I started to regulate his awake windows and mm -hmm. sleep times that everything started to come right. And that leads me to a really important question I have. And I think a lot of parents might have this, and I'm still confused by it myself, even though we found a good rhythm here, is we hear people talking about awake windows. We hear people talk about sleep schedule. And then we also hear about the feeding times. Then we also hear about the routine, which is the eat play, sleep. Now for a baby, my baby's age, they're supposed to be awake around about 90 minutes, mm. or that's what we've been doing. You can correct me. But when he wakes up, we feed. That's what we've been programmed to do, right? Wake up and then feed. And then he's 90 minutes later going back to sleep again. And then he'll sleep anywhere between 45 and 120 minutes. So that means the time between each feed is not always the same. Sometimes I'm introducing a bottle again two hours later because I want them to understand that routine of eat, play, sleep, and not getting into the habit of associating milk with going to sleep because then obviously it's going to make it difficult to sync his sleep cycles at night. So sometimes, often of the times, we don't have a, an exact day every day and we don't ever have a perfect day, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. With my other two babies, I feel like they were a lot more self-regulated. Like I never had to analyze all of these things like I am now. Mm -hmm. With my first two babies, all I knew, I had an amazing clinic nurse. I still see her for this baby. And it's interesting because she and I are both observing how Connor is so different mm -hmm. than my other two. But with my first two babies, all she did was write down for me a feeding schedule every time I saw her. And as long as I followed that three hourly feed schedule or four hourly feed schedule, the sleep and play time in between, and it worked itself out and they still slept all night long. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Connor, when I've gone away from the eat, play, sleep, and I've tried to stretch out his feeding time to make him feed more sufficiently and have more space between the feeds, it messes up his sleep. This episode is brought to us by ParentSense the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helped you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. 
Get a flexible routine, daily tips and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. A couple of things there. First of all, I'm always a fan of doing what works. So (laughs) if, if, if something's working for you, then don't try and read the book, change it, you know, do anything. So if, for instance, the eat, play, sleep is something that you find works for you with shorter windows between feeds and he sleeps better at night, then just don't rock that boat. Like that, that okay. for me is, is very important. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I <laughs> so, agree. Yeah. So that, that's the first principle. However, you bring up something really interesting. So we've got awake times, which focus on sleep rhythms. We have got feed times, which focus on feed rhythms. And then we've got this thing of eat, play, sleep. So let's start with the eat, play, sleep piece. Okay. So the eat, play, sleep piece came about for exactly the reason that you said is that we're trying not to associate feed with sleep. And so therefore, if we feed and then we've got a gap of play, then our little ones won't actually be falling asleep on the breast or associating sleep with feet. So that's the principle. The reality is actually that I think following an eat, play, sleep rhythm, or and there's millions of other ideas on it, uh, you know, kind of play, eat, sleep and all sorts of things, I think is counterproductive. I don't think that you should necessarily be be following that. The Mm. only principle in that which is correct is that don't feed to sleep. So in right. other words, if you are going to feed and a feed time does fall just before sleep time, which can happen. And that, that in fact, I personally do like that because there's an Afrikaans phrase that says, Mach is full, or he's too, which means my tummy's full, my eyes will go down, you know, my eyes will sleep. <laughs> And so it, it, there is that kind of having a full tummy helps baby sleep. And I don't ha- therefore have a problem with feeds before sleeps, as long as they are not associated with it. And by what I mean there is that as long as mm. your baby's not falling asleep on the bottle or the breast. And I think right. that's the important principle with eat, play, sleep more than actually a full play time just before they go to yes. sleep. In fact, a full play time just before they go to sleep when they're very little is not necessarily the best thing because it's stimulating just before. Mm. So I think the principle is if you are going to feed just before sleep time, like for instance, in the evening, you're going to be doing a 6.30 feed and then they're going to be going down at 7. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So I, that's part of the reason why I do not like the eat, play, sleep theory. I don't think it works for babies. I think Mm. exactly what has happened for you becomes a conundrum. Like now it's time for a feed, but now it's just before the sleep. What am I going to do with this? I'll bring my feed earlier, which actually is counterproductive. And we've we've spoken about what that can do in terms of lactose intolerance and all sorts of things. Also, very frequent day feeds do lead to frequent night feeds. So mm. I would throw of the three things, which is following awake windows, following feed routines and following eat, play, sleep, I would throw that one out unless, of course, it's working for you, which, <laughs> which I preface the whole conversation with. The second principle, which is your feed times, is important. So, you know, when little ones are very small, so I'm talking under six weeks of age, demand feeding is important. And so we don't have feed times. Right. But certainly by the age that um, your little one is now, by 15 weeks, we are saying, yes, we must have feed times, regular feed times. And at this age, it would be three to four hourly. And I wouldn't be feeding him more frequently than that during mm. the day. So it is saying, right, it's going to be three to four hours. But let's say, let's come back to how we move that if, if it coincides with the sleep. Because the third thing that you mentioned is, of course, the awake times, which is incredibly, incredibly important. Because when I you found that at, the most important. Absolutely. It's critically important. And the reason it's so important is that when you work with the neurotransmitters in the brain, you're going to be able to settle your baby to sleep much easier. Yes. Or in fact, they'll settle independently. So when you say that it's a 90 minute awake time right now, that means that after 80 minutes, your little one's brain is starting to release the neurotransmitters that say, I need to go to sleep because his kind of diurnal 
emotional rhythms or his daily kind of dips in mm. alertness are coinciding with exactly that time. So Absolutely. Definitely follow the awake times. But now let's say your awake time happens to coincide with a feed time. And this is really interesting that we're having this conversation because we are about to, and actually by the time this podcast releases, it will be actually live on the app, release what's called our responsive routine. And that means that if a mom tracks her baby's data, her baby's sleep time and her feed time, the app will actually work out a daily routine for you. And one Amazing. of the, it's an incredible algorithm. It's the biggest kind of development that we've done in the app since we released it. But one of the rules, so when you build an algorithm, you have to put rules into the algorithm. And I've put in a million rules into this because it, it has to be able to work for every eventuality. Exactly. But one of the rules is, is that if a baby's feed time and sleep time coincide within 15 minutes of each other, which one goes first? And so okay, the, this is my dilemma. Exactly. So <laughs> the answer to that question is that if a feed falls within the first 20 minutes of a sleep, move the feed earlier. So bring it before the sleep. Okay. So in other words, if your sleep time is at 12 o'clock, is, is at 12 o'clock, let's just say, and your feed time is at 10 past 12, you must rather feed at like five to quarter to 20 to 12. So bring it, bring it earlier, fit it in before the sleep. And exactly. in fact, the app will actually do that for you. So the app will read that. It'll see what time your next feed is due. And it'll actually suggest it to move before that sleep. Okay. If however, your feed is due 20 minutes after the sleep has started. So in other words, 20 minutes through until an hour after the sleep has started, then you can actually delay the feed until the sleep is done. And so you okay. can put your little one down and you know, they're probably not going to sleep more than 45 minutes then. And so that means exactly. that your sleep might be 20, your feed might be 20 minutes late. And that's fine. That doesn't matter. And mm. so that's kind of the rule of thumb of, of how I would do it. But certainly the piece that you're trying to keep pretty steady is that awake window that you don't really want to shift that. But your feed, you can bring a little bit earlier and you can bring it a little bit late. Absolutely. I mean, since we've implemented, I've sort of done this own customized multi-prong approach to helping him regulate his routine with the feed and the sleep and the awake window and this eat, play, sleep routine. Since we've done this and most specifically focused on regulating his awake windows mm -hmm. and sticking to that, we've recognized that it is absolute clockwork. I mean, if he misses, if we delay that awake, the sleep time by 15 minutes, it's way harder You'll to get him it. to sleep exactly. or if we do it a little bit too early and then he doesn't have a very good quality nap. And then exactly. that totally derails the rest of the day. Well, not completely, but we just notice that he's almost, mm -hmm. he seems like a fussier baby yeah, when exactly. we are not on top of his routine. But once we started to understand his developmental needs, his neurological needs, where he's at in his growth chart and, and what he needs that day, it's almost like we have to be very in tune with him. And when we are, everything goes really well. And, and mm. literally, we, he's a different child. Like he's so happy, so satisfied. He drinks nicely. He sleeps nicely. He's smiley. But yeah. if we are not on top of what's going on, yeah. it, it does tend to snowball Absolutely. and derail quite quickly. Yeah. And I think, you know, on a neurotransmitter level, you know, as we get tired, and this goes for all of us, we've all experienced this. When you get tired, you kind of hit a window. I mean, you've had it on a Saturday afternoon as a new mom with a baby who was waking at night, you would have had it where you just hit that moment where you're like, oh, if I just close my eyes now for five minutes, I'll just like fall asleep. But you push through that and you get your mm. second wind and your second yes. wind can take you through for the next three hours, whatever it is as an adult. But there's a cost 
And that yeah. cost is that we need a little bit more adrenaline, a little bit more cortisol. And so we need a little bit more of the neurotransmitters to keep us alert and in preparation for engaging with the world. Absolutely. And that means that if those have been released, that cortisol and adrenaline, it is just that much harder to get to sleep. And we've all experienced it. If we get overtired, burnout. If your toddler, exactly. If your toddler gets overtired, you just can't get them to sleep. So that's why the awake windows, we, we are working with the neurotransmitters and that's why it works so beautifully. What you've also alluded to, which I love in what you're talking about, is this word self-regulation. Because self-regulation at this time, so from 17 weeks to six months, is our key window for developing self-regulation. Like we want to focus in on that because we know that if little ones start to self-regulate their sleep between 17 weeks and 24 weeks, they will be good sleepers. Like it's mm. a given. But in order to help them self-regulate, there's a couple of things we have to do. One is we don't want them to get overtired because if you're overtired, this goes for all of us, or if we're stressed or if we're in pain, we cannot self-regulate. And you'll know mm. this, five o'clock in the afternoon, that temper tantrum that, that, that your five-year-old throws about something, you could deal with that fine at eight o'clock in the morning. But at five o'clock in the afternoon, you are at the end of your tether and you might mm. snap at them. It's You can't self-regulate yourself when you're tired and babies are the same. So if we're keeping them in a good rhythm, them in a good routine, number one, they're going to be more likely to self-regulate. The second thing that's going to happen, and this, this is something that's going to be potentially a, a challenge that you're looking at, although when you and I popped onto this podcast, you said to me, I'm just listening to what sounds Connor's making. I'm seeing mm. him settling himself. And that told me, it was an incredible message that you gave me because that told me that you were giving him the space to learn to self-regulate. Yes. I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he was probably put down awake and he was making some niggling noises and you needed to work out if those niggling noises were going to escalate into distress or if those niggling noises were going to decrease into sleep. Am I right? Did I, did I get hundred percent? I, since we've focused on this almost like sleep coaching plan, I've learned to understand his, mm -hmm. the sounds of his, I won't even call it cries because it's not even always cries. Mm. It's just the sounds. Like I know mm. if he's going mm, mm, and sucking his fingers, mm. he's soothing himself to mm -hmm. sleep, which is quite amazing mm. to see. And I'm so mm -hmm. proud of him because it's such a big thing for his little age. And it's something they can achieve. I think it's a great gift that we can educate ourselves on this and give our children the opportunity to achieve it. It's just been amazing. But sometimes I can hear it's a very upset cry. And mm. usually what that means is he has a wind still. Mm. And then I have to pick him up and almost comes out immediately because it's quite sore for him. Most mm -hmm. often he's just really settling himself mm -hmm. a bit and he's fine now. I mean, he, when I checked on him at the beginning of our call, I heard him and I, I heard that it was the sounds and it went on for about 10 minutes. I could hear now it's completely, he's mm -hmm. soft and sleeping and mm -hmm. quite happy. Well, I, I mean, you're giving him the greatest gift because you kind of mentioned it just now that, that one of those greatest gifts we have to give our little ones is this ability to self-regulate. It carries you through life. And at this age, it's really tricky. Um, as a first time mom, you hear those niggles and you've kind of read the literature on make sure you don't allow your baby to cry at all, uh, respond at every, to every sound. And so you, and which by the way is important because that responsivity is very important on an emotional level for little ones. And mm. actually in our app, we've got an attachment course um, in our app at the moment, which is worth doing. But the reality is that those little niggles of learning to self-settle are just as important as responding to the distress niggles because if you allow mm. your little one to develop that self-regulation, particularly 17 weeks to 24 weeks, like it's a golden gift. And actually Absolutely. it's a golden gift to yourself as well, because you'll have a good sleeper as well. 
So from about 12 weeks when we had that horrible night on the last day of the 11th week when he was waking up every 90 minutes at night, Mm -hmm. I started, one of the things we also did is we switched him from the bassinet to his cot, which Mm -hmm. I remember with my older two boys, that was a very critical moment in their first year where they started to sleep better. I don't know what it was, if it was just symbolic of the transition and us being ready to help them. But we transferred him to the cot and then we started to do every sleep in the cot instead of baby wearing or Mm -hmm. pushing in the pram. But I would sit right next to the cot Mm -hmm. until he fell asleep. And if he really seemed upset, obviously I picked him up for Mm -hmm. a few minutes and comforted him and put him back down again. But almost every day it was a percentage less of my support and more Mm -hmm. of his self-reliance. Very, 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 very gentle and gradual. And I felt very comfortable with it. And I'm, it's just amazing how, if you take this approach though, and you, you try to understand the science of their development and their sleep, how it's impressive, how they can Mm -hmm. learn to self-regulate and how you can almost regulate, understand in yourself too. Oh, well, I wish I could fall asleep that easily. Well, it's like, if you do practice those things, you can also fall Mm -hmm. asleep. Like as adults, we have sleep preventers and sleep associations as well Mm -hmm. that are not very positive for us. And our sleep is a crucial part of our health. So like I always say, parenting your children is an amazing opportunity to learn to reparent yourself and regulate yourself and be a better version of yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I love the way that you spoke about and what I would call that grading, that kind of going from, you know, wearing your baby to sleep, which is or or contact sleeping, which a lot of moms who are listening to this podcast will have that issue that their babies will only contact sleep. So that's kind of one end of the continuum. Other end of the continuum is putting your baby down, walking out the room, shutting the door and your baby falls asleep on their own. But in the middle, it's a gradual process and we call it grading. And what I love about what you just spoke about is that on the day that you took him off your your nanny's back or off your, then a carrier on you, you sat next to him mm. and you didn't move from him. And, you know, I think that is, it's such an important part. We call it co-regulating. And, mm. you know, I think when people talk, talk about sleep training and they get their knickers in a knot and start to feel hysterical about the fact that babies are mustn't be left to cry, which I agree with. They've lost sight of the fact that there's a whole lot of other stuff you can do as part of sleep coaching, which does not mm. entail leaving your babies to cry. It entails being there, co-regulating and teaching them a new skill. And that's pretty Absolutely. much what you did through that period. So I just love that this one vignette that you've brought us, which is, you know, what he was doing on kind of 11 weeks and what he was doing within two weeks after that and how you actually graded it across and and how gently you managed to do it and how baby centric it was more than anything. Absolutely. I mean, that's our role as parents is to hold their hand slowly along Mm -hmm. every difficult journey they come across. And it also makes me think so much of the toddler years, which Mm with my older boys was the most difficult part of the parenting journey for me because we're having to learn to understand their difficulty with emotional regulation Mm -hmm. and how to help them. Mm -hmm. And it can re-trigger us, again, another opportunity to reparent ourselves, but it's just the same gradual process, as you say, recognizing where you need to have positive boundaries with parenting your toddlers and that Mm -hmm. it's a process. It's recognizing what they want, how they're behaving in response to whether or not they're going to get it, what their emotional outburst is and helping them to understand, like, I acknowledge this is how you feel. This is the boundary. And these are the choices you have. And just also giving them the space to let out these negative emotions instead of 
us as parents try to squash, diminish, suppress, or appease these negative emotions because that's Mm -hmm. not really going to help them learn to regulate themselves and become older, better, more mature versions Mm -hmm. of themselves. That's our job is is. to not just give in. It's absolutely. And you know, what's so interesting is that you've alluded to the journey of self-regulation because self-regulation actually starts in utero at 34 weeks gestation. Babies start to regulate things like their heartbeat and their kind of swallowing and sucking reflexes. And they start to actually do a little bit of self-regulating on a physiological level, not on their state, not on behavior, not on emotions, Mm. but physiologically. And your baby was born a little early, Connor was born a little early. Mm. And so he would have had a poorer ability to self-regulate his temperature as an example, than for instance, a baby who's born at full term. But by the time little ones are kind of two, three weeks old, their physiological regulation should be really well established. The next level of self-regulation is the sensory and state self-regulation, which is, of course, what you've been doing now. This is exactly, it is a challenge that goes from about two weeks and goes all the way through till about 17 to 19 weeks where they start to have to become a little bit more fussy and irritable mm-hmm. and then move through that. And then the next level of self-regulation is emotional regulation, which is the second half of the first year where they have to start to learn frustration, tolerance, separation, anxiety, all of that type of navigating their very big emotions and then only after that in the toddler years do we talk about behavioral regulation and that's why we never do behavioral training with babies who are littler than that because they can't do behavioral self-regulation before that Mm. and that's your ABC approach that you alluded to those positive boundaries which is another course that I have got on the app that people can go I did that course with you it was life-changing I did that course when Lincoln was about three and he was my challenging of beans kiddo and we still practice those principles today in fact since Bubba's been born, he's had a little bit of a regression emotionally, we've noticed, Mm. where we sort of look at him and think like, you are behaving like a toddler. Where is this tantrum? (laughs) Well, he's just out of it. I suppose he's five. Yeah. 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 But I mean, we've definitely Uh, seen a bit of a regression, but only in the last few weeks. So it's like almost like it's hitting home. There's this other child and he's acting out for attention. So we are aware of that and we're helping re like co-regulate him again and let him know he's safe, secure and loved, but certain behaviors are not okay. Absolutely. You know, Christina, it has been the most amazing time. I cannot believe that our time has gone so quickly because we had a whole list of other things we wanted to chat about. And I'd love to have you back as a regular. Um, We tracked Cassidy's life with her little ones, with Max, who was born, and we tracked him for a full year. So I'd love to connect with you regularly about Connor because there's so many learnings. And moms, if you've enjoyed this time with Christina, I really do encourage you to go and have a look at the Honest Hour podcast. It's a fabulous resource. And Christina and I did a couple of, I think, we had two podcasts maybe together so it's worth going and listening to those and to all of her other fabulous guests as well so christina thank you for joining us thank you for giving us your wisdom as i said you know sometimes i have experts and other times i have moms who are experts and (laughs) i'm delighted to have had a mom expert on today so thank you for joining me definitely wouldn't call myself an expert but i love the opportunity to share and I'd, i'd absolutely love to come back again and continue to share where we are at in our journey i have so many more questions i can't believe how quick the time went. Thank you so much, Meg. Thanks, Christina. Cheers. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.